you remain standing for our scripture, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and then 16 through 18. Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Then verse 16 through 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. This morning we're going to be continuing our fall uh, sermon series where we're spending time looking at the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest sermon that's ever been told, and in these three short chapters of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus tells His followers of what is expected of them as followers of Him. And really what He's doing is He's going farther, right? Is He's saying, if you're going to be a faithful follower of God and of, Jesus, and of God, then I expect you to do even more as the Son of God, or I expect you to live in a different way as the Son of God. In his book on the Sermon on the Mount, John Stott provides a brief one-sentence summary of the Sermon on the Mount up to this point through chapter 5 that I found helpful. So basically what he writes is the Beatitudes or the character or the marks of a Christian. And then he says the verses on salt and light tell us of the influence of Christians in the larger community. And then finally he says the six principles, which are what we've looked at the last three weeks, are ways that as Christians we are to demonstrate Christian righteousness in the way that we live. Okay, so as he goes through the entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus builds on what he's saying as he continues. So it's not each verse standing on its own as an individual passage, or each segment standing on its own as it's divided in our Bibles. But we have to remember that Jesus is presenting these verses, and he's presenting them in such a way that they are structured to build on each other, as he wants us to see and he wants us to realize how we are to live righteously and how we're later to live in response to his grace. It's important for us to remember that Jesus says to his followers, he says, you are to be so righteous that your righteousness exceeds even that of the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees were the gold standard of righteousness in Jesus' time. And so Jesus is saying to them, you've got to do even better than that. Although he changes it. And he also says, you have to live righteously in the way that your heart is changed and in the way that God knows your heart, not just in the outward things and the outward ways that you're choosing to, to, to demonstrate your faith. 
And so really, when Jesus talks about righteously, it's not us accomplishing or, or checking off a checklist of what it means to be a person of faith. What Jesus is saying when he talks about us being righteous is he's talking about how you and I are able to live in such a way that our hearts are changed, our hearts are transformed, to where when we live, when we think, when we act, everything that we do is in tune with what God expects of us. Because he knows our hearts, he also knows our minds and our motives for doing what we do as well. I hope what we're all beginning to see is that Jesus had a goal in preaching this sermon and putting this sermon together. His goal is that you and I will be different in the way that we choose to live. Of course, his first audience, we have to remember, they didn't know that they would soon be trying to figure out how they're to be different in light of a betrayal and in light of a crucifixion and in the way that he later offered his forgiveness and his grace. I mean, we have to remember as they heard these verses for the first time, they're sitting there trying to contemplate and trying to figure out how Jesus is calling them to live as, as faithful Jewish men and women in the culture that they lived in, but how he's calling them to be more righteous. They did not know that as he was giving these verses, that later they would be figuring out how, how to read them in the way that you and I are reading them. Post-betrayal, post-crucifixion, and even post-resurrection. He wants us to be different, especially when our choices and our actions are weighed against the larger culture and the community that we're part of. This isn't to say that, that uh, we are like the Pharisee in Luke 18, verse 9 through 14, who, who stood in the temple and thanked God that, that he wasn't like the sinner, the tax collector standing over there in the corner. I like that comic of it. Um, this isn't to say that God doesn't compare us to others. God doesn't compare us to others. The only person that you can be compared to when it comes to your faith is Jesus. So quit looking around. Quit thinking about what other people are doing and trying to measure yourself up to them. And measure yourself against God and measure yourself against Jesus because that's the only person that God's comparing you to. Friends, that's kind of a relief. But it's also kind of intimidating because I got a lot of work to do if I'm being measured up against Jesus as opposed to just someone else, right? That's because our salvation and our forgiveness are our own. It's yours. And so what Jesus is saying is that he wants you to be unique and he wants you to be different from the larger church and even from the larger community. Different in the way you read the Scripture, different in the way that you choose to live, different in the way that you choose to make your faith and an active part of who you are so that you can be identified by the impact that Christ makes on your life and in the way, and in the way that you live in response to Him. And so Jesus wants us to be unique. He wants us to be ourselves. But He also wants us to demonstrate our righteousness and the condition of our hearts in the way that we choose to live and in the way that we choose to carry ourselves. And so in our scriptures today, Jesus goes further in what it means to live righteously. And today, the, the passages or the, the topics that he brings up to the disciples is he's talking about giving or almsgiving, he's talking about praying, and he's talking about fasting. And so what he wants his disciples to do is to read these or to hear these words, for us to read these verses, and then to think about how we conduct ourselves as we engage in each of these practices. There's a couple of things I think we need to note for all three of them before we look at them each individually. The first is that these are not practices unique to Christianity. So the Jewish faith, 
Practitioners of the Jewish faith engage in prayer, fasting, almsgiving, um, you know, uh, Muslim faith, other faiths. You know, these are three things that, that a lot of different faiths do. But the reason that Jesus brings them up is to point us out and to point us to how we grow closer to God in doing them. He also takes the time to, to set himself and to set the words that he is saying against what the Pharisees were doing in the way that they were practicing these things. Because we have to remember, what did Jesus say? He said, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. And so it's only logical then that he takes what the Pharisees are doing and how they are choosing to live out each of these things, practice each of these things, and he says, I want you to look at what they're doing. Here's how God expects you to exceed that or to do differently. Because you have to be set apart. You have to know your motives for doing what you're doing which is to grow closer to God and to not receive accolades from those around you. It's also important for us to see that, that these are things that Jesus already expects you and I to be doing. Did you notice in the verse, it doesn't say when you decide to start giving, when you decide to start praying, when you decide to start fasting. Jesus is saying, when you do these things, I want you to do them this way, not the way you've been doing them. They're not optional. And so as we read them, we have to think about how we're already doing them, which I think probably for most of us, giving is something that we do. I think for most of us, praying is something that we normally do. I think for most of us, fasting is not something we've done in a long time unless it's Lent, and then we do it 40 days, and the day we check it off, we're back at it. Because that's just what we do. Um, <laughs> But what he wants us to see is how our focus and our motives are on why we give, why we pray, why we fast. And as we see in a minute, and as we've read, Jesus wants us to think of each of these things and the way that we do them in secret so that all glory is given to God and not to what you and I are doing. Otherwise, we've already received our reward. I mean, he just says it, right? He says it outright in the gospel. He says, if you're praying for people to see you, there's your reward. They've seen you. They've celebrated you. They've gone off and already forgotten about it. Same thing with giving. If you're giving so that other people see you, they've rewarded you. They've forgotten about it as they're walking away. It's all the same, right? Because he wants us to boldly live our faith. He wants us to boldly show our faith. And he wants our faith to have the purpose to glorify God and to honor him rather than having the things that you and I do draw attention. So let's begin this morning with Jesus saying, whenever you give to the poor, don't blow trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may get praise from people. All right, so Jesus expects us to be giving. He's not talking about us starting giving. He's not talking about us thinking about giving. He is saying, when you give, you need to think about how you're giving. Because he wants us to know, he wants us to realize the motivation of why we're doing what we're doing. He wants us to think about why we give to, to the church and to others and, and how it blesses our hearts, how it helps us to, to see others as Christ himself sees them and, and to see how it affects our hearts. And so in biblical times, the Pharisees engaged in, in giving to seek the praise of men. And so Jesus' issue with them was not that they were giving. Not once did he ever say, don't give, because the Pharisees give. He says, don't give like the Pharisees. His issue was their motivation. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, the Pharisees would parade to the collection box in the temple with trumpets blaring to draw attention to what they were doing. 
I should have brought the trumpet that used to be in our own. My mom showed up a couple years, was it two years ago? It was like, here's your trumpet from sixth grade. And we were like, what? So if anyone wants a trumpet, talk to me. Um, <laughs> anyway, that was an awful time. Um, oh, wait, where am I going? Okay. All right, so Jesus, I don't know what, what Jesus is saying except to get us to think, to get the people to listen and to think about why it was the people were, were having someone announce that they were going to make their contribution in the temple and place their gifts in the collection box. What he wants them to see, what he wants us to see, is that if your recognition, if, if your motivation for doing what you're doing is just for people to see, he says that's it. There's no additional recognition. There's, God doesn't appreciate our gifts if we're giving them so that other people can look at us and go, wow, that's great, look at what they did. He also says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right, so he may have exaggerated a little bit to make the point where he says, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. We know it's impossible unless you're planning on, on taking a handoff or you know, other examples we've seen of, of people who have taken these words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount very literal. But we all know it's impossible unless you know, it's one spouse maybe writing the check and the other spouse doesn't know it's, it's happening. That would be the right hand and the left hand. But what he is saying is he's saying, Think about your motivation for why you give. Think about why you're doing it without fanfare, without dwelling afterward on what you've done, especially if your motivation is to get recognition. What he's doing is rebuking that desire and saying, the things you are doing should be the norm for being a follower of me. We give because we give out of gratitude for God. We give out of our love for God and for others. We give because uh, giving helps us to orient our hearts and ourselves uh, with, with a kindness and with a love to others that we wouldn't get otherwise if we don't give. And then he says prayer. Again, he's speaking about prayer with the expectation that everyone listening to him is already in, uh, has a prayer life, right? This isn't something he's saying, hey, y'all need to think about praying to God. He says, when you pray, dot, 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 don't be a hypocrite. Don't put on a show. Don't stand on the corner making a scene. Because if that's what you seek, there's your reward. Instead, what does he say? He says, go to your prayer room. or go to your, When you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present in that secret place. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't pull out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do. They think that by saying too many words, they'll be heard. All right, so the first thing Jesus is not doing is he's not condemning public prayer. So if anyone ever asks you to pray in public, don't say, hey, Jesus said we're not to pray publicly, so I probably shouldn't today. There's some people that take that literally, right? What he is saying is that if you're praying in public, you're to be earnest in your prayer. You're to be thoughtful in what you say and what you pray. You're to not add unnecessary language or flowery language to make your prayer sound more than you normally would do or, or would offer. Because here's the thing, if God knows our hearts, God knows what our prayers are, doesn't he? And you don't need to go out of your way to make your prayer sound more than it is if God already knows what you need to say. In fact, our public prayers should be a reflection of our private prayer. 
Meaning, if you're comfortable talking to God in private, then the way you pray in public is going to be reflective of that. So if you're comfortable talking to God in your private prayer life, it's my guess that when you're asked to pray publicly, it's going to be something that's comfortable for you because you're already oriented towards praying to God. You're already comfortable praying to God. That's why Jesus says when you pray, go to your room, shut your door, and pray. Because there's no need to put on a show in your prayers when it's just you and God. Secret prayer is to to seek God and to check our motivation for why we're praying. And so for us to grow in our faith and for us to stay grounded in God, we have to be able to talk to God, we have to be able to listen to Him, but we can only accomplish both of those things when you and I engage in prayer. Finally, fasting. I'll be honest, in the Protestant church, we've put fasting about as far away from the center of Scripture as we could, haven't we? I think part of that is because we look at it and we say, well, the Roman Catholic Church, they fast. The Orthodox face fasts. I think part of it might be from like the 1500s and the Protestant Revolution and and part of of the, the Protestant church splitting off from the Roman Catholic church was in many ways what they tried to do is make themselves themselves as little Catholic as they could. And so for many, that meant setting aside fasting. Whether it was bad or good. Because they didn't do it because fasting was, was Catholic. It was something that the, the Roman Catholic faith was known for. So for many of us, the season of Lent is probably the closest thing that we come to fasting. Which is kind of funny because John Wesley and his his brothers and and the Methodists, the early Methodists that are at Oxford College um, in England, they fasted regularly each week. But for us, you know, in the Protestant tradition that we're part of today, you know, fasting is usually something that we engage in during the season of Lent. And so for the 40 days before Easter, 46 to be exact, we prepare ourselves for that celebration, often by fasting, whether it's giving something up, whether it's adding something, whatever it is that helps us to to orient ourselves towards God, I think we have to realize that it's a far greater gift that, that we read about and far greater part of the faith that we realize. Because if you look in the Old and New Testaments, there are instances where people fasted to grow closer to God. In the rebuilding of Jerusalem, Nehemiah instituted a fast among the people. After Jonah shared his message of of warning to the city of Nineveh, what does the Scripture say? The Scripture says the king of Nineveh heard his message and all of the people, and they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they began fasting in the streets. And if you remember with me, that's when Jonah was sitting on the cliff over Nineveh, and he was all sorts of upset because he's like, God, I brought the message. Why aren't you destroying them? And God said to Jonah, well, because they're fasting, you know, they're, they're fasting. They're showing contrition. They're, they're asking for forgiveness. Even in the book of Acts, you can read where, where the, the, the man named Saul, who was a Pharisee, who was going from Jerusalem to Damascus, was going to persecute the Christian church there. And the angel of the Lord, Jesus, met him there on the road to Damascus. And remember, scales covered Paul's eyes. He was stricken blind. He couldn't see. He went to the home and and sat there and fasted for three days in the city of Damascus until Jesus sent a a Christian named Ananias to go to him, to lay hands on him, and to, to to restore his sight. 
And Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. In time, you know, the, in the time of Jesus, the Pharisees fasted on Monday and Thursdays. And so as part of their fast, they would make sure that everybody knew it. So they said the things that reminded people that they were fasting. They made sure that, that their faces looked a little more forlorn, a little more uh, uncomfortable because they were hungry. And what does Jesus say to that? He says, if that's what you're going for, you've gotten your reward. Like prayer and giving, he says, check your motivation and check your heart. If your motivation for fasting is to receive recognition for others, then don't fast. But if your motivation to fast is to grow closer to God or to stay focused on God for a specific purpose or thing, then you should fast without anyone knowing so that all the glory is given to God Himself. Friends, I hope what you're seeing is that in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is saying to each of us is He's saying, evaluate your motivation. Whether you're praying, whether you're giving, or whether you're fasting. Are you doing what you're doing out of thanks? For the grace and forgiveness that God has offered you? Or are you doing those things for other reasons? Because the only audience that matters is God. Not by withdrawing, not by not attending church, not by not participating, but we have to get in it and make sure that we are focused on God. For God knows our hearts, God knows our motivation, and God knows why we do what we do it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I want to end with a quote from him as he talks about his own prayer life where he says, it, it is even more pernicious if I turn myself into a spectator of my own prayer performance. I can lay on a very nice show for myself even in the privacy of my own room. I mean, basically he's saying, I've got to check my heart to know what I'm doing, to know why I'm doing it so that I can make sure that only God is glorified. Amen.